What is this? For the masses. Welcome to the For the Masses podcast. My name is John Barrett, your host, and I'm super excited because it's episode five and the numbers keep going up. But I'm even more excited because this is my good buddy on the show today. His name is Jamie Kane. He's an experienced podcaster, an entrepreneur, and a social philanthropist. The name of his show is called Liberty Uninterrupted. His brand is called the No Kings Coalition, and he's an advocate for a company called Operation Underground Railroad, who fights the good fight against sex trafficking all over the world. I'm also looking to get some cool intro music. So if you're an artist, you're a rapper, singer, I know I do rapping as well, and I'm also a singer. So Fall 22, Messy Bunny Sage, my single will be dropping. Stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, you know, if you're an artist and you have some amazing music and you want to get some collaboration, please hit me up at JBTheMasters on Instagram. Okay, so let's jump into the episode and listen to Jamie Kane, a passable father. Hey, Jamie, as one of my best friends, I appreciate you jumping on my podcast for money. For money? Yeah, I actually paid you for this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, Who's I wouldn't take it. Guy? Yeah, so I appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Like, who are you? Like, what, what's your name? Who am I? I'm not the hero this city deserves. I'm just the one it needs. <laughs> no, I. Uh, my name is Jamie Kane. I'm the host and founder of Liberty Uninterrupted. I'm one of Jonathan's best friends, one of his boys. He's my boy. Um, I'm also the founder of the clothing line, No Kings Coalition. I'm a family man. I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple of Christ. Not a good one, but I'm trying. I'm a anti-human trafficking advocate and a fitness fanatic. So that's that's probably the that's my my Instagram bio. So there you that's, go. That's Jamie Kane in a nutshell. It is. So and you, you said dad, like best dad in the world. Yeah, no, definitely. I wish, bro. I wish I was the best dad in the world. Is that in your bio? Uh, I, I put husband and father. But you put best dad because, like, Jamie, you're a good dad. You know, yeah, good I'll put I'll put I'll put passable father. <laughs> that's valid too. I I try I try to be I try to be the best dad. I fall short. I'm sure. Well, Jamie, I'll tell you this: like anything I do, like no one can ever say I didn't try. That's true. You know, and like, that's, that's true how I feel about most things. You know, yeah, I, like I can't say that. I feel like I tried a lot of things, but there's some things I don't try. <laughs> but you try because some people don't try. That's true. Some people so, don't try. And speaking of like trying, like how so? How long ago did you start podcasting? So I started podcasting officially. Back in like the first time I ever did a podcast was like 2016 with a buddy of mine in Virginia that never even took off. Like we were planning to do this podcast together and then literally nothing ever happened with it. And then I, uh, you know, and then I started podcasting officially in 2018. I started a podcast called The Everyday Edge, which was like a, it was like an entrepreneurship self-development. Like the whole point of the podcast was to focus on being 1% better every day and how I was doing that and just talking about that. And just offering that advice to other people. And I still believe that. Like I, I don't, I no longer do the everyday edge, but I still believe in that philosophy of 1% better every single day. Um, and that's, and I genuinely believe in that. And I believe that's the best way to live your life. It's taking one day at a time, one moment at a time and being 1% better every day. And then I started what I'm doing now, which is Liberty Uninterrupted, uh, the libertarian method to overcoming the state. I started that in September of 2020. I've been doing it ever since. And that's a long-term gig. I mean, it's it's blown up. It's grown really, really fast. Uh, the Instagram's done well. But the audience has done extraordinarily well. Consistent listeners, we're up to 5,000 now. So we're doing pretty good. That's awesome. So like, and, and you would say like that political like niche kind of like help you develop like super fans 
like you building your tribe well i wouldn't even say it's a political niche because i don't believe in politics like i i've been very adamant about like politics doesn't fix anything like the idea behind liberty uninterrupted is that the culture fixes things so for instance if we look at like the civil rights movement we look at like anti-slavery jim crow right it wasn't the politics or the politicians that fixed that issue it was black and white people coming together with the underground railroad doing stand-ins you know protesting together standing for each other standing for rights of human beings in general which influenced the culture and then in turn, it forced the hand of the politicians, right? But I think politics and politicians are completely unnecessary because it doesn't do anything of worth or or good for anybody. It's the culture. And so for me, I talk about politics because, because that's honestly what we're up against. We're up against politicians and politics. But my answer to that is winning the culture, is winning the hearts and minds of people. And forget about voting. Forget about trying to put the right person in office because we keep trying that and it doesn't go anywhere. And and so, yeah, I do think I found and I've always been interested in this. Like I've always I've been a libertarian since 2012. I volunteered for the Ron Paul campaign way back in the day. I, and I read a lot. I read a lot of libertarian literature and you know political philosophy, if you, that's what you want to call it and so on and so forth. And I, I think because I believe in this, I believe in freedom and liberty for every single person. I'm not a, I don't believe in the collective. I believe in the individual. I think the individual is the greatest minority on earth. And uh, you can't believe in human rights if you don't believe in the individual. So I think because I believe in these things, because I genuinely in my heart, like feel that my purpose in life is to progress liberty for all people, regardless of race, gender, sex, sexual orientation, skin color, creed, whatever it may be. I think that's what resonates with people because I believe in what I'm doing. No, absolutely. And like like me, like being an avid listener of like your first podcast, Everyday Edge, coming from the self-development, shifting towards like now, way more articulate, way more concise on your thoughts. And it seems like you have more of a movement. Would you would you call that? It's more of a movement. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, I, I think I'm a guy within a movement like we call it in the, the so we call it the liberty movement, you know, the liberty community or, or just those who want to progress liberty. And it's like I said, it's all people from every walk of life, which I love. And we don't we don't focus on like identity politics, like like I said before, which you identify as or your color, your gender, whatever. Um, it's it's all focused on the individual. And so I feel like I'm a guy that believes in the movement and that I feel like I know enough and I'm passionate enough in my personal life that I live what I talk about. And that translates into my podcast and there, and I'm helping progress the movement. I don't feel like I have my own movement. I don't want my own movement. I want to progress the Liberty movement. Hey, you're the face of the movement for me because I don't know any other libertarians. (laughs) Well, you should know more because it's the right way to go. So I should, let me clarify too. When I say libertarian, like, there's different types of libertarians, people out there. There, there is like the uppercase libertarians, what we call them, or those that are actually in the Libertarian Party of America. And then there's lowercase libertarians that are more about the ideology and, and building the culture. And that's I, I consider myself a lowercase libertarian, just so everyone, you know, if you don't understand that world, there you go. That's that's a little bit of history there. Yeah, so. that's that's the bluff. So like what what made you like identify that like libertarians like have a movement and like you wanted to be a part of it? Like what like what like like yeah. like, like who like who? Uh so like when I got into the libertarian movement? Yeah. 
Yeah, Ron Paul in 2012. So Ron Paul was running for the Republican nomination for president in 2008 and 2012. And I'm not a Republican by any means or Democrat or anything. I don't identify with any political party. And so, but I, Ron Paul was that like, he was that that voice that I, he, had, he was saying all these things that I was thinking myself. And there were other things I never thought of that he really opened my eyes to, you know, like it was one, like, for instance, he talked about ending the endless wars in the Middle East. Like I am, um, I'm a former service member. I served in the United States Army, but I believe that, you know, and maybe we'll probably disagree on this because of our history, but I believe that these pointless and endless wars are just, or exactly that, pointless and endless. And he talked about that. He talked about us. There's no reason for us to be in the Middle East for 20 something years, quote unquote, fighting the war on terror when all we were doing was nation building. And so, and, and trying to install democracy, which that isn't our job to please the world, right, as America. And then the next part was like the war on drugs. I never really thought about the war on drugs. But if you look into the war on drugs, like there's all these people that are using recreational drugs. I think we have like 500,000 people in the prison system now for victimless crimes for recreational drug use. And that's absolutely, and then the majority of them are young black men. And that's absolutely ridiculous. They didn't hurt anybody. They were doing their thing. What well, do I condone drug use? No, I don't do it myself. But uh, I think they weren't hurting anybody and serving, you know, a year to 25 years to life in prison over marijuana use is absolutely ridiculous. And so it was things like that that I had never really thought about. And, I, and he spoke to me. And that's when I knew, like, in 2012, I was like, this is what I believe in. It made sense. And it was maximized freedom and extraordinary pullback on state and government control of the individual. Oh, that's awesome. So like, so did you just start like researching parties and you were like, well, like this, this is interesting. And then you dove deep into it and then you met Ron Paul. No. So I, I mean, my entire life too, like I come from a military family. I come from a very politically charged family. Like all, all my relatives were like very vocal about their political beliefs. And so I was kind of raised like that. My dad was too. And it was so like, I consider myself like a constitutionalist conservative growing up. And it was more so like, I, I knew where I was, but a lot of things just didn't jive with me. Like when it comes to conservatives or liberals, like it just didn't, I was like, it just didn't make sense that we had this two party system in the United States and it was dividing people and it was and if you couldn't vote any other way like if you identify as a Democrat or Republican that was it like you had to you had to vote along those lines and if you didn't then you weren't a true Republican or Democrat right and I just don't believe in that I believe that you should vote your ideology and I think you should know your ideology well and so I didn't join the Libertarian Party like I said I I subscribe to the philosophy of libertarianism you know I I don't uh, I I personally just in this last year have decided not to vote because I feel like voting just keeps feeding the Washington, D.C. machine. And it, we need to start taking up and helping our own communities and not expecting politicians to do it for us. And so it, it was more so of just seeing all the problems within our political system and hearing this guy, Ron Paul, on TV talking about the issues that were facing our nation. And he was making sense, not for Republicans, not for Democrats, but for the American individual regardless of who they were, where they came from, he wanted the the liberty for all of them. And he wanted the government out of our lives. And that's what I wanted. And so ever since that point, yes, I have grown and I've researched a lot more and I have grown in my um, knowledge of the ideology behind what I believe. And I've evolved a lot as well into, like I said, I, I, I decided this year that I'm done voting. So it's one of those things that it 
yeah, it's taken time to grow to this point, but I feel like I can articulate it well to any person and have a, just a reasonable conversation with somebody when in a world that we live in right now that you can't have a reasonable conversation about politics without jumping down someone's throat. You, you can't. And, and, you know, Jamie, as one of my best friends, like you, you're probably one of the few people like on like one of my hands that I can say, like, know how I feel about stuff. Right. Like anything, you know, religion, politics, well, religion is on a little bit more like people know. But yeah. like, religion, politics, like things of that nature, that like anything polarizing, I tend not to get into because people aren't really educated and they go off of socialization. Yeah, and they get heated, dude, over nothing. Like it's like it's disagreements and not seeing eye to eye are good for people. It is good for conversation. It is good for not only challenging your own opinions, but developing empathy for the person across the table from you that you're having that discussion with. If you are in a room with with 10 people and all of you agree, nine of them are not necessary. It's just, it's just that like, it is a good thing to have divert. I'm very big on diversity where today we all talk about diversity of like skin color, right? To me, people are people. And I know a lot of people say that, but I really do mean that. Like I see skin color, like you can't not see it, but I don't care about it. For me, diversity of thought is, is in diversity of background, where you come from. That to me is by far more important because it, I don't, like I said, I don't care what you look like. I care about who you are as an individual and I care about what you, how you think about things and how you see the world. And I want to know that, you know, and, uh, and I say the same thing when it comes to the, whether it's the LGBT community or, uh, you know, like I said, you know, the black community or, you know, the libertarians or what, like it does not matter. I just care about wanting to understand where you're coming from. And that's kind of where I focused. And if, if things get heated, if political conversations get heated or whatever, like I say, all right, I'm out, dude. Like I don't, I don't need to stick around for that. It's not necessary. It, it absolutely isn't, you know, and for me, like if I do get in conversations like that, like for, like, for me, I respect anyone with standards, you know, right. If you're, if you're up there and you're telling me like you don't believe anything, then that's when I kind of like, ah, uh, like, right. You should like believe something, you know, you know yeah. you, like again, like fall for, um, stand for nothing, fall for anything. Right. Yes. And, um, I love and that. That's what, and that always was like, like big for me and you, like, obviously like we, we might see like eye to eye on some things, but there's some things we don't. Yeah. Like, agreed. But, yeah. That's I'm, cool. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And again, you should be like, you should be cool with that. Like, and the cool thing about our relationship and other relationships I do have that I can talk about this with is like I said, like wanting, not even trying to find a common ground because I believe what I believe. And, and I've had my mind change for sure, but I'm not going out there trying to find common ground. I'm going out there trying to form an understanding. I want to understand why you feel that way. And I want you to understand why I feel this way. We don't have to find common ground to be friends, but empathy and understanding is absolutely essential to friendships. And it's amazing to me the amount of people that will disregard friendships and relate and even family relationships because of, you know, political, religious beliefs, whatever. There's a quote by Thomas Jefferson I love that said, I've never found a matter of politics or beliefs or reason to abandon a friend. You know, I'm just like, and that's kind of how I, you know, try to live my life when it comes to that. Like I have friends from all different religions, all different backgrounds, all different you know, socioeconomic uh, situations, religious beliefs, all, all that stuff. And, and it just, that's, I want to have those friends. Like, I don't want to be stuck with one person that looks like me. That ain't fun. Like, trust me, living with me 24 seven ain't good. You know, I need a little, I need a little variety. <laughs> now, that's hella funny. No, I, I get that. And it's also like, I think society is in general, we suck at confrontation and we associate confrontation with being negative, you know? And yeah. I don't think confrontation negative at all, man. I think it makes everything more exciting. And you do get that empty and understanding. 
I think, well, confrontation is a good thing because that's number one. I mean, it depends the kind of confrontation, right? If it's a physical confrontation, like that's, that's one thing, but two, like a, like a verbal confrontation or an idealistic confrontation is a good thing because your ideas and beliefs get challenged, which is good for strengthening them. But two, you, if you do that, you get better at standing up for yourself and that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Now, I, I think there's a fine line between standing up for yourself and what you believe and what you hold dear and not being empathetic towards others. Like you still need to listen to where they're coming from. You still need to strive to try to understand why they believe what they believe, because therein lies the human condition, you know, and I just feel like it's absolutely necessary to not jump down people's throats. There's a way to have confrontation and for it not to end friendships or relationships. I agree. I think that's with anything, though, like even like with religion, you know, it's like the approach of like shove it down their their throats or it's approach of like lead by example, you know, and, and that's that's Jesus approach, you know, and that's absolutely the best way. You know? I just live by the golden rule, man. Like that's I mean, my you know, when the Pharisee asked Christ, you know, what is the greatest commandment? Christ says, you know, to love thy God with all the heart and to love thy neighbor as I love thyself. That's like I mean, that's if you love somebody, that means you listen to them. You you try to be empathetic. You try to relate to them. That doesn't mean you conform to them. That doesn't mean that you abandon who you are to become more like them. Um, unless you want to emulate them, unless you look up to them and you want some of their qualities. But it, it, loving them is trying to come from a place of understanding. And a lot of people don't see in that last part when Christ says, love thy neighbor as thy loveth thyself. You also need to love yourself too. And that includes standing up for yourself. You stand up for yourself. Christ wasn't, uh, he, you know, he was the one that taught, you know, turn the other cheek. But at the same time, if you look through the scriptures, he didn't let people walk all over him and he defended himself and his father, right? And his disciples. So um, that's love. That's self-love. That's like that is love, dude. That goes back to discipline, too, you know. And and Jamie, I'll tell you this. Like, I feel like a lot of people love other people more than they love themselves. Oh yeah. I and think I do. I, I think I probably do. I don't I think it's I hard. Do. Self-love is hard, man. Like it's it's one of those things that it it, it sometimes it feels selfish or it feels like uh superficial or fake or you know, what's it called? Engineered and it just doesn't feel real, you know. It I think it it takes a lot more energy and understanding to love yourself than to love other people. A lot more and it, like we're we're able to like like be easy on ourselves, you know. Yeah. because um, you're you're by your you're alone. You know, yeah. with, your, with your own narrative going back, going in the background of your head, right? So, no, I, I agree. So, so Jamie, like, since we just like dove in and we're talking about this now, I got a political question. Okay, it's not a, it's not a political question, <laughs> but it, it's a it's a doctrine. It's, it's a philosophy question. It's a philosophy question. Okay, all right. That's what I like, man. That's all about. And I always wanted to ask you this question. Actually, oh, oh, that's what we're doing on air. We're on Let's air. go. <laughs> Jamie Kane. Okay, here we go. Jamie, well, I'm not going to call you what I call you on the phone, but I'll, I'll tell you what I call you. <laughs> okay. Jamie Kane, equality okay. of the opportunity or equality of the outcome? Are you You're asking my opinion or which one I believe in more? Which one you believe in more? Equality of opportunity, not outcome. If, if you're shooting for equality of outcome, you're never going to achieve that. Right. Like that, that's just not that is a utopian ideal. Like not every single person can have the outcome uh, equality of opportunity. And I, I don't even with that, it's I think you create your own opportunities and it's not the I, 
I don't believe the government is good at anything. I think the free market is much better at things. And when I say the free market, I just mean people in general. I think you create your own opportunities. Now, it was different, right, when, you know, for, we'll use the civil rights because that's that's probably the easiest example to use in American history when uh, you, you know, just because of the color of your skin, you couldn't do X, Y, and Z. That's a little bit different, right? But when it comes to today... Well, there's no out and out law that is discriminatory against people based on their race, gender, sexual orientation, anything like that. I think we have that. But I also feel like you like people are searching for the government to give them the opportunity to say like, but they, they don't know how to pull themselves up and actually go work for it themselves. Anytime the government guarantees anything, opportunity or outcome, it never works in the favor of the people that it's supposedly supposed to help. It only works in the favor of the government taking more responsibility from the individual. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. The government seizes power by assuming responsibility of the individual. So you get an example? Uh, yeah. So I would with the big one of the biggest things is fatherless homes in this in this country. Fatherless homes are to me that is a real pandemic. Is fatherless homes the number one indication of drug use, of criminal activity, of suicide, depression, any of those things is fathers not being in the homes. The government has tried to take the place of a pseudo father in the home by offering single mothers and fathers incentive to not raise children together. If a mother has a child, and I give all the respect in the world to single moms or single parents in general, because I know that's, I, I don't know because I've experienced it. You know, my parents were divorced, so I guess I kind of did, but not from a first person point of view. I can only imagine how hard that is, but the government has incentivized men to leave the home and for women to raise their children by themselves. Uh, you I see it in the, agree. yeah, you see it in the welfare program, you see it in um, the public schooling system, you see it everywhere. And so they're assuming the responsibility of the father or the mother, and they're putting and they're seizing the power by getting in the home, by putting people in the welfare state. Now, people look at welfare as a good thing. I think there are certain times when someone is down and out and they genuinely can't find work and they fall on hard times that like, I think that, in, that they should seek help from their community, their churches, the people around them, charitable organizations, not the government because the government's just taking your money and giving it back to you. True charity is when someone gives out of their own heart to help you. And I think that's a good thing for the nation. So with that being said, welfare is a form of dependency because you see people get on welfare and then they never get off of it. And that does not create opportunity or equal opportunity. It doesn't. It just, it doesn't. Because then now you're auto, you're automatically dependent on another entity for your well-being and not on yourself. And that is a form of state dependency or even, I would say, state slavery. No, I, I agree because I, I feel like, and this is also goes back to, you know, when I feel like a lot of it is like worn words too. So you, yeah. you're, having, you're having a discussion with someone and they say this is systematic, you know, I think yeah. that's what they're talking about, you know, but they yeah. don't have the facts to talk about it. So they're all anecdotal. Right. You know? Well, I will say, like, when you look at, like, the war on drugs, it, it like, I'll bring that up again. It disproportionately affects the black community, the war on drugs. Disproportionately affects the black community. So I, I, I'm not one of those guys that says there isn't racism in the state because there is. Like, I, I think that today there is, they have equal opportunities. So there's no out-and-out out law right now that is out-and-out, out, you know, racist or discriminatory, yeah, right? And, and, and you're talking about from the institutional... I'm talking about from... I'm talking from the government standpoint. Roger, okay. Right, right. With that being said, but, but with that being said, the ramifications of laws like the war on drugs 
disproportionately affects the black community. So that there, therein lies a racist, not even really a racist, but it, I would say a race impacting. Race impact, yes, that's probably the that's probably the best word. And then when you see and, and even and people don't realize like it affects really poor white communities as well. Like in, this, in like the deep south, and you go to Arkansas, Alabama, all this, and you go in those trailer parks. Uh, it's usually it's not it's like opioids or whatever it may be, and that affects those you know poor white kids as well that have like lived in a trailer their entire life. And and it's like I'm, I'm talking like dirty ass trailers. I'm not talking about like yeah. you know nice kept cut mobile homes. I'm not I'm not bashing on trailer. I'm talking about like messed up lives where. It doesn't matter if you're black or you're white. That stuff just sucks if you're a kid. You know what I'm saying? And so it des- it definitely disproportionately affects people. And I, I would I would go even on a limb to say that there is like most people don't know this, and this is kind of off subject a little bit, but I'll, I'll bring it back around that the average American commits three felonies a day without knowing it. I believe it. The, the average American. So so I ask people. Because I had a I had a conversation with a friend of mine that we actually went to school with. I'm not sure if you ever knew him, but I, I won't say his name. But he talked about how the privatization of the pri- the prison system, this, that, and the other. And that's a whole different conversation. But what I brought to the table with him was we could look at the privatization of the prison system and talk about that and try to find a different solution. Like, okay, sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. The, the real problem is, is that we have way too many laws in this country that are victimless crimes, that there is no victim. Like using recreational drugs, I'll use that example again. If you're using it yourself in your own home, there's no victim but hurting yourself, and that's your own business. Now, if you get in a car and you're high and you hit somebody, that's a different story. Now you've affected somebody else. But to me, a crime has to have a victim. There's no reason in the world the average American should be committing three felonies a day without knowing it, without a victim. So all that to be said, wrapping all that back up, is that there is there's systematic I wouldn't even, there's race impacting laws, but there's also just systematic, what's what we call authoritarianism. Like that is just like, it is just a power grab over the individual, regardless of what they look like or who they are. No, I I agree. And it's like, it's like, it's also like regional, like regional deciding on like what, what, like, like again, so if you're in Virginia and you're in Idaho, like what's the difference of you, you popping hot in your house? And popping hot in like Idaho versus Virginia, you know what's the difference? Yeah, it's true, and it comes out like yeah, you can do that in Texas, you can do that from Texas to New York, from you know from California to North Carolina. Like it's that's why I really believe in what's called localism, and it's it, it's basically the the philosophy on focusing on the community level and not really worrying about everything else, like. Right now, we're so caught up at the federal level, at the national level, at who the president's going to be. In all honesty, it doesn't. It shouldn't matter who the president. The president should not have that much power over the individual's life. We need to get back to localism and focusing more on our own communities and helping each other within the community. Because what happens in your community by far has a larger impact on you and yours than what happens at the national level. At least it should. And I'm a big proponent of of people helping and uplifting those in their community. So and I agree. And it's quicker, you know, quicker in a sense of like generation. Yeah. Like, Dude, it takes forever for the government to get shit done. You know, how easy it is if, if you have a neighbor that needs help, that needs to get something done, how easy is it to go walk over there and help them? And you can probably get it done that day or at least that week. You know what I'm saying? And it's good for your soul too. I believe at a spiritual level, it is good to help people. Service and gratitude goes a long way. Oh yeah. And, and yeah, you've told me that, dude. You're like one of the most, you're one of the most grateful people I've ever met. Uh, hey, that means the world to me. I, I, I'm dead serious, dude. It's it's pretty awesome to see. 
Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That yeah. means the world, bro. I appreciate it. But like, but uh, but like backtracking to something else you said about like how like not only are like minorities impacted by some of the laws, but like you talk, you mentioned like poor white people. Um, and that's mm-hmm. evident when I lived in West Virginia, like how I seen Appalachia impact. Right. Yeah. And and one and it's me being from an inner city environment, seeing the whole state of West Virginia was given the same score as an inner city environment in Pittsburgh, the Hill District. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's like it's like trauma. Trauma. So obviously, like trauma is impacted by economic oppression, and I think it also is economics. That's that's how I absolutely. Think. Yeah. No. I mean, absolutely. You can't escape economics. People, if I'm not sure if anyone's ever out there has read Thomas Sal, I'm a big fan of Thomas Sal, and he explains he's got a book literally called Basic Economics. That I recognize I recommend anybody read. He talks about like why economics is so important and why you can't just why we can't just create a new economic system and think it's gonna work. Like what we're trying to do now today, we're trying to create our own economic system. E- economics is not about money it's about resources and the scarcity of those resources right and um it's it's pretty amazing like you like you talked about it to me it doesn't matter like what you look like man it's like it, it is more regional it's more individual and to me i'm just so sick of people i'm so sick of people focusing on the collective like like this community that community this community like i really want to focus on the individual like if you're a christian at the christian level jesus talked about going out and finding the one the parable of the lost sheep right like finding the one if you're not a christian if you're more of a secular atheist or whatever listening to this you would still believe in humanity inherently like you believe that the human life has value if you didn't then you would believe it's okay to kill people then hopefully you don't um, but the human life has value, right? So why in the world would we focus on a large group of people instead of focusing on the one person individually? And that's only possible through community I- interaction. So no, I, I agree. And it's like hard for everyone to get past the noise now because we have so many distractions. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so many distractions, bro. And- Hold on. I'm getting a phone call. Hold on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, dude. Oh, I say three two seven. No, it's, <laughs> I, you got yeah, you're, you're talking about distractions, man. So I, uh, you know, that went over. I was just giving an example. Yeah, that, it did. Yeah, that went. Wow, bro. Try to keep up, man. Try to keep up. You're, you're too witty from podcasting, bro. <laughs> Hold on. So, so like going back to equality of opportunity or versus outcome, I agree with you. I'm equality of the opportunity. Uh, I feel like you should have the opportunity to uh, interview for a job. Um, however, I don't think you should be given a job based off of like whatever preference you have. Right. It's hard because like I like in the, given those two options, I'm opportunity or uh, equal. What's what do you call it? The what would you say? What's it called? Uh, equality opportunity or uh, equality of opportunity. I think you. Sorry, I was talking about white space. I added those two options, but like I find it hard because that means the government is inherently going to get involved. You know, it's interesting. I. Like, uh, I'm going to use another example from uh, the civil rights era because I think it's like it's a per- it's a pertinent example and people understand this. Uh, you know, Rosa Parks refused to sit at the back of the bus as a black woman. Right. What most people don't realize is that. And then she got kicked off and it created this whole thing. Right. This whole movement behind Rosa Parks. What most people don't realize is that 80 like I think it was like 78, 70 to 80 percent of public transportation customers at that time, were part of the black community. Now, does it make any sense for a business 
to mistreat 70 to 80% of their customers. No, right? And so I don't feel like the government needs to get involved. I think the free market fixes it, corrects itself because you would eventually have like, you know, like Rosa Parks saying, okay, I'm not going to, then fine, I won't ride this bus. And then they're going to lose 80% of their customer base. They'll, they'll turn around real quick. They, they may not be the right reason, but it still fixes the problem. Now today, reverse that because today racism still exists. Like, you know, prejudice still exists, not just of, you know, white on black, but uh, like there's racism all you know prejudice of all I've experienced that as a Christian I've experienced pl- plenty of prejudice right yeah as a, as a straight white Christian male man I, the whole world hates me but I uh, I you know with that with all that being said I where was I going with that? oh so today like if a business turned away like an Asian dude or they turned away a Jewish guy or a Muslim guy or a Christian or whatever, like I wouldn't go and support that business. I know the majority of people probably wouldn't either. They would be like, you know what? They discriminate against like people and I'm just not down for that. So I'm just not going to give them my money. You know what I'm saying? I don't feel like the government needs to get involved. So today, like if, if there wasn't, um, you know, there's equal opportunity, that, that law, the equal opportunity, equal, uh, um, opportunity employer thing that they do. Um, I believe today, like if you went in and said, yeah, we're not going to interview you because of, you know, this reason, because of the way you look or the way you identify or whatever, the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, your whatever, maybe your religion. Uh, and you went out on Facebook and you said, hey, just so everyone knows I was denied an interview because of X. You know how many people were going to go and dislike that page or write a bad review or just not support that business? And people think that's crazy, but ask yourself if you do that now. Like I know for a fact, I do that now. Like there are businesses that support things that I don't like, I don't, I'm not down with. And so I don't support that business. People vote with their dollars. That's what people vote for, vote with, excuse me. And so I, uh, when when it's hard, when I hear that, that, you know, equal opportunity, equal, you know, outcome, like, I just don't feel like there should be either of those. I think you create your outcomes, you create your opportunity. I no, I, I I agree with that. I think uh like obviously like that 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 uh term is like more oversimplified, you know. And I also feel like this like again you use the word proportional like everything's not a one to one ratio, you know. And I I feel like it's super super important when you look at things like what you said like the war on drugs and it's racially impacting uh blacks unproportionately and, and right. it's unproportionately like key word for that, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. Impacting everyone because you know the argument's always like. Hey, like these 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 white guys pop hot too, like over in Nebraska. Yeah, it affects every. I mean, like you know, war on drugs affects everyone. But you can you can say it affects everyone because it does, but also say that it disproportionately affects the black community because it does. Like I I'm not about social justice, man, because that term is way overplayed and way overused. I'm not going to put social justice warrior in my bio because that doesn't mean anything. I'm about facts. I'm about looking at the facts, and if the facts show me that something is true. Then and it is and it is not right. Then I'm against it. Like for instance, the war on drugs disproportionately affecting the black community. I'm against that. It does still affect the white community. It does, and I don't. I don't want anybody affected by it if, if they're not hurting anybody. You know what I'm saying? And you look at you look at any. I'm trying to think of another thing. You look at I don't know. Like you look at gay rights. Like I would in 2012. I would even as a Christian, I was in support of the the decriminalization of uh, same sex marriage, same gender marriage, because I believe the government shouldn't be involved in marriage. Number one, marriage is a religious institution in the first place. So there's that. But two, the government shouldn't be involved with who is in whose bed. It's just as simple as that, right? And so for me, that the fact of the matter is, is that the government doesn't belong in our lives. 
it, it just doesn't, it doesn't belong in your in your wallet, it doesn't belong in your bed, it doesn't belong in your home. Um, and that's just uh, that's just my opinion. That's the way I operate, man. I don't. Outside of that, I'm just I care about you as an individual, man. So that's kind of how I uh, I look at life. No, and like I said, I respect I respect you having standards for yourself, you know. And yeah. so so Jamie, like you you mentioned when you first uh, got on the podcast that you're an anti human trafficking advocate. Talk yes. a little about that and like the organization you support, and I know you do volunteer work too. Like, talk mm-hmm. yeah, so I support a lot of different organizations, but the one that I volunteer with personally and done fundraisers with is Operation Underground Railroad. People don't realize today, so the transatlantic slave trade that happened, you know, in the in the you know 16 to 1700s, about three hundred thousand slaves landed in North America. 300,000 too many. First of all, let's go ahead and get that out of the way. 300,000 too many. Slavery, to me, is the grossest abomination of human rights in history. Whether it was a transatlantic slave trade, whether it was the Hebrews in Egypt, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter. I mean, in Africa, there was and is slavery of different tribes. And it happened in, in America with the Native Americans. To me, slavery is slavery is wrong. It's just as simple as that. So 300,000 slaves landed in North America. That's a lot of people. Today, there are over 40 million people enslaved. And today, slavery did not end with the Emancipation Proclamation. It has gotten bigger. It has gotten darker. It has gotten scarier. And so I learned about an organization through a podcast I listened to, the Tony Robbins podcast back in 2017 of Operation Underground Railroad. Today, there are 10 million children enslaved in modern day slavery, regardless of what they look like. And what what gender are they? What age they are? It doesn't matter. They are enslaved today. Ten million, approximately two million of those are being used for sex trafficking, child sex trafficking. Right, two million children. And so I, there, to me, there's no more important fight. Like I talked about in the beginning of this podcast, I believe that freedom and liberty is my calling in life, and that includes anti-human trafficking. That is the grossest violation of individual liberty is modern day slavery is slavery. And so people don't know these numbers. They don't know what's going on. And even if they do know, they don't want to talk about it because it's on it. When you hear 2 million children are sold into sex slavery. Yeah. It, it makes you squeam in your chair. It makes you tense up a little bit. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't even want to think about it. No good person wants to think about it, but the problem is that is the reality for these children and they need our help. So I volunteer for operation on the ground railroad. So does my wife. And I actually have a fundraiser at the end of this month that I'm doing for them um, where I live. And I highly recommend people go check out OURrescue.org to support them. Uh, say, say that website again and their Instagram page. Yeah, it's at O-U-R, as in Romeo, rescue.org, and their Instagram is O-U-R-Rescue, at O-U-R-Rescue. So right. Operation Underground Railroad is there. Uh, Tim Ballard is a member of my faith, and he got the name from, obviously, the Underground Railroad. Harriet Tubman was his kind of, like, idol and named it after her and, and that whole operation and getting the slaves freed from the south to the north. Well, absolutely. And definitely a noble effort, you know, that like more people need to know about and more people need to take part in, you know, even if it is contributed financially because they do need that as well. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that just five dollars a month. If you you they call it the abolitionist club. I'm, I consider myself a modern day abolitionist. I, I donate every single month because I even when I haven't had a lot of money, I just felt like I needed to give. And even if it's just five dollars a month, man, you don't know the difference that that makes in a kid's life because it's not just freeing the children from slavery. 
it is people don't think about what comes after they're free. You don't just free them and, and then say, okay, good. You know, you're good to go. Like you're free now and go on. Cause a lot of them get reintroduced back into human trafficking because they don't know what else to do. And a lot of them have like the obviously and rightfully so these, these traumatic, the post-traumatic distress and, and disorders, and they don't know how to operate in the real world. And they have a depression and anxiety and all these horrible things. And so aftercare, helping rehabilitate them, showing them the love that they need that they've probably never experienced their entire lives and helping them cope with the horror that they went through is the most important part of the fight outside of getting them out of the metaphorical and literal chains that they're in. No, I, no, I agree. And again, that's, that's super noble work. And, you know, I've, I've always respected you for like taking part in that, to be honest. You know, I need to be. Thanks, man. This, um, part of that yeah, bro. It takes all of us, man. It takes, I mean, it's people, people say, you know, you're, well, if I was back then, I would have stood up against slavery. But it's easy to say it's happening today. It's yeah. happening today. So are you going to stand up against it or not? Because you, it's easy to know if you would have then. Uh, because if you do it now, it's just as that. And, it's, and it comes down to knowledge. And so I, I truly believe and I get passionate about that. I even get emotional. Like even now, I I feel just sad because I'm thinking about it. But I, you know, I believe that that's probably my life's biggest calling is to bring awareness to that. And I don't have many talents, but one of the talents I do have is this is talking and having conversations and, and speaking. And uh, I want to I want to bring awareness to that fight. So anybody listening now, I, I highly recommend you go check out OUR. There's other organizations like the Polaris Project, A21, the End of Movement. Uh, there's a, I'm sure your state has a anti-human trafficking organization within your state like mine does. I, I look it up, volunteer, like make the efforts known because it's important. No, absolutely. Well, hey, Jamie, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Like, So if there was one thing you could tell someone listening that would like obviously identify with like whatever I'm doing in the podcast world, Yes. what, what would you tell them that uh, keep me coming back? Mm, yeah, let me think. I would tell them that you are not special. <laughs> You're not special, but you are unique and that you have a unique set of skills, abilities, talents. And even if you don't, it's you can develop them. All of us are average and it's okay to be average. What is not okay is staying average, is staying complacent where you are. Life to me, the happiness in life and the and the the, the satisfaction, the fulfillment that you get out of life is not uh, ending up in the location that, or in the at a location that you were aiming for, but the progression, the journey of becoming a better human each day. And remember, it you can be proud of who you are, but to me, it doesn't matter what you look like or where you come from. Like that makes you who you are, but internally who you are, what you're about, what your goals are, how you want to help people, what you want to grow into. That's what truly matters, man. And last of all, you know, I know this isn't a religious podcast, but both of us are Christians. I believe that all of us have inherent worth because we come from a divine creator. And I don't think about that enough and I need to. But even if you don't believe that, know that someone else at least believes that you have this divine potential and inherent worth because of who you are and where you come from. But you're still not special and it's okay to be average. You just can't stay there so absolutely and and so jamie i plug your personal social media your your podcast social media your podcast name yeah so i don't really put out my personal just because i only let people that know me or i know them follow me but i will plug at liberty uninterrupted once again at 
at Liberty Uninterrupted is my Instagram. You can also find Liberty Uninterrupted on all major podcast platforms. My clothing brand uh, a line is called No Kings Coalition at No Kings Coalition and NoKingsCoalition.com. You can go support that there. And then, um, like I said, go check out OUR as well. I, I consider that one of my personal blood because of uh, how much I believe in it. So, Jonathan, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's always been a pleasure. And I'm uh, hopefully your audience gets something out of this and doesn't think I'm some, you know, crazy uh, whack job, you know. So Hey, thanks, bro. Hey, no, I was late, bro. <laughs> it means All right, man. Yeah, it's good to be here. Jamie Kane just killed the podcast. He did an amazing job. He's a high intellect individual, a vet, a passable father, and just an amazing individual. Please go check his show out. Liberty Uninterrupted. Go cop some gear from him. No Kings Coalition. And again, I respect Jamie Kane so much because he stands for something. And I would rather have friends who stand for something than those who stand for nothing. Thanks for listening for the Masses Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to my mother, Alfreda Bullock. She ran her race with elegance and pride. I love you forever and always.